0: but yours be done not my and i'm getting serious now amen all right so all right not my will but yours be done and over the course of the next couple weeks i'm or months uh through the end of the year i'm going to dive into genesis and um long story short uh, well let's read genesis chapter one here first chapter one verse one it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Long story short is chaos, complete disorder and confusion. The world was out form, and it was void. And the first six chapters, and again, I'm just going to highlight because I'm going to dive into this, is that God created, let it be. And he said it was good. Progression, order, fullness, completeness, something out of nothing, order out of chaos. And the bottom line is creation is awesome. And then you have the climax of God's work and that's man. And he said it was very good. Created in his image. He says after our likeness. You're my children. I love you. And God, the bottom line with God is, you're awesome. And then we see God in the garden with Adam and Eve, walking, regularly meeting with them in the garden. Unity, fullness of love, fullness of fellowship. And the bottom line is, a relationship walking with God is awesome, But chaos continues. In spite of how awesome creation is, how awesome man and woman is, how awesome their relationship with God is, chaos endures. And you're going to see through the study, at least through the first six chapters of Genesis, is how Adam quit walking, Cain walked away, but Noah walked with. And you're going to see over and over again how God is trying to draw man back to him. And we're created in relationship. We're created for relationship with God and with each other. But see, chaos comes out in a lot of different forms. And in the story, we're going to see it's in the story of Adam and Eve, you see it. The chaos continues in the form of rebellion, responsibility. And we're going to talk about trust. We're going to talk about our responsibility. We're going to talk about chaos. And if you understand correctly the first six chapters of Genesis, God's warning us that a flood's coming. Are you ready? Chaos is here. Are you ready? Are you developing the relationship with God and with one another? Because, see, when the flood hits, if you don't have those two relationships down, you will be taken away. And that's tough. And I think the older you get, the more you recognize and appreciate chaos. I mean, we could have some fun. We can get the mic and we can go around and, you know, tell us about your chaos most of us would have very intense stories a lot of tears but you know when we're young and dumb <laughs> there's no chaos you're going to get older you're going to see it <laughs> so then in genesis then you have the entrance of the snake and it's a talking snake and the mood changes And harmony gives way to discord, mutual trust to suspicion. And you find, again, we're going to talk about this more, but the snake speaks boldly of God instead of Lord God. And the first three chapters, you see every time that God is made reference to, it's always Lord God, creator, covenant partner. But the snake, in his boldness, says, God, the distant God. And one of the forms of chaos is minimizing God for who he is and looking at God as the distant God, not the God that's with me, walks with me. So both Adam and Eve take the bait and bite, and they fail, and they fall. And God calls to Adam, and he confronts Adam. He questions Adam. And finally, Adam admits his disobedience, but he minimizes his responsibility. And see, it's so important that we understand not my will be done in the overarching theme of the Bible. Because see, the Bible is a love story. Creating order from chaos. Drawing man back to a relationship with him. And it doesn't really matter if you like love stories or not, because God thinks you're awesome. You know, it's like one of the funny things I find about men is, and women is how insecure we can get. Does this outfit make me look fat? <laughs> is, does this match? How do I look? Do you like me? Am I loved? And in all of our insecurities, God is over and over and over again reaching out and telling us that you're awesome. I love you. Walk with me. But we ask ourselves how In what way. How is God trying to draw us back to Him? And probably one of the best scriptures I can read is Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4. Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we consider Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment is, That brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so we find Jesus now in Gethsemane, the garden, praying. Waiting, waiting to be crushed. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther. Keep going. There you go. Going a little farther. He fell to the ground and prayed that if it's possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. He says, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And lastly, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you will not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Keep on going. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same again, or the same words again. So Jesus knew what was lying, to lay ahead, the cup that he was about to drink, and yet as a human being, he did not want to suffer. He did not want to die. He would have liked to have found another way to follow God's plan. And in fact, the reason we read these three different synoptic Gospels, the common source Gospels, is that each one of them has a little bit of variance. Let this cup pass from me. Remove this cup from me. Take this cup from me. And so he prayed. A prayer struggle, revealing the intimate link of trust to his loving Father. A prayer to bridge the gap that seemed to have opened up between his own will and that he thus far understood to be his Father's will. A prayer to see if God were willing, perhaps a change of mind, that this cup of wrath might be taken away. And still over against his own will, he submitted to the Father. The Father's will he would do, not his own. The Father's will, he knew what was best. The Father's will was what he always prayed for and did, even when the human side wanted something else. To this he committed anew. And so Jesus drank, and he drank deeply. Luke chapter 22, verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose and prayed, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to him, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You know, I love the Bible, and I love reading it. And he says he prayed more earnestly what does that mean the first time he was praying wasn't earnest or as earnest but now the writer of the gospel says he's praying more earnestly you know grief anxiety fear chaos says the disciples were sleeping for sorrow Instead of watching and praying, sleeping for sorrow. Emotionally exhausted. You know, I get that. First time I saw it, I was was in my mid-20s. I was going to chiropractor school. 18, 24 hours, credits a semester, working 30 hours a week, trying to, to lead a couple Bible talks emotionally exhausted, physically exhausted, I fell into a lot of sin. Second time I saw it, I was in my mid-30s. We got fired in Chicago. I was exhausted. But to this point in my life, I realized that, you know what? God's way always works. And the third time I saw it in my life, I was in my mid-40s, and I started to lead the Dallas church exhausted and I prayed a lot and so Jesus told his disciples watch and pray watch for what Jesus knew he was going to die Jesus knew the centurion the soldiers were coming to take him so why watch we just sit here and wait watch and pray So that they will not enter into temptation. Jesus was warning the disciples. What was he warning them about? Warning them not to do it their way. Doing things my way, my will, my desire, my wish, my purpose. As I deal with all my hurts, all my wishes, my purpose, my feelings, my idiosyncrasies, dealing, leading through all my insecurities, fears, and brokenness, I'm tempted to do it my way. What I think is right. You know, what happens if Jesus decided to do it his way, not God's way? No sacrifice. No resurrection. No forgiveness of sins. No new life. I wonder at times if where my life would be if Marty Fuquay didn't decide to move to Chicago and, and start leading the Dallas or Chicago church. No Patty. No Blake and Grant. Most likely divorced and bitter. No chance for discipleship. No. God, I'd probably be in Illinois somewhere in a small town waiting to die. So then I think about Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer, after the, the great chapter of, of faith in chapter 11, he was writing to the Hebrews and he's, and he's talking about how awesome Jesus is. And I've said this before. If you want to study G- Jesus, but you don't want to read a gospel, where do you go in the Bible? Well, it's the book of Hebrews. Jesus is it. He's better than Moses. He's better than angels. He's better than the old law. Let me talk to you about Jesus. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set out before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising it the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne, consider him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted? How, how does that happen? One moment he's praying, I don't want to do this. God, take this from me. Your will be done. But for the joy set before him? Here's a challenge if the Bible doesn't scare you and draw you in at the same time, You're not reading. What do I see in Jesus? Because the the writer of the Hebrews says, consider him. Think about Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look into him. Consider him. Think about him. The joy set before him. Think about Jesus. So what do I see in Gethsemane? Power. Power. This is for the guys, okay? Power. Power under control. That's what meekness is. I love the definition of meekness. Power under control. Power. A willingness to submit to his father. Power. Willing to be open and vulnerable about what he was feeling. Power. To take his disciples with him in his, the time of his greatest need? You know, if I look at Jesus and consider him, what do I know about Jesus? Well, so we know that he's told us his father wants all men to be saved. That he commissioned us, for those of us who are disciples, to go disciple the nations He's, com- he's claimed that we'll do even greater things than him. He calls me to deny myself and pick up my cross daily. And so then what does Jesus want me to do? So here's the rubber hitting the road now. That was just the Introduction. You're just going to look at two scriptures, (laughs) scriptures that I've looked at over and over and over again. What does Jesus want me to do? John chapter 13, a new command I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, it's not how you look, it's not the color of your skin, how much money you have, how big your head is, how much intelligent you are, it doesn't matter. It's by this, loving you, that you're my disciples. Do you know we're not good at loving? Do you know we need to learn how to love? To be trained, to be discipled. If we're going to have some fun right now, do you realize that probably the vast majority of us don't know how to love well? And Jesus then says in John chapter seventeen, verse twenty: "Do not ask for those. Do not. I do not ask for these only." That you have sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Perfectly one. So the world may know. Do you know we're not good at being united? Need to learn. We need to be trained. Be discipled. I love watching Oneness, because I love sports. And you watch teams that are that are one, like like LSU yesterday, <laughs> one, one team, <laughs> oneness. That's right, That's right. amen. Lay a little amen over there, amen. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. So, am I loving you in such a way that the world will know? Am I one, perfectly one with you so that the world may know? Am I denying myself, my fears, my hurts, my past so that we together can do even more than what Jesus said? You know, here's our challenge. Am I willing to open up my heart for you? Jesus said, not my will, but your will be done pray and watch so that you will not fall into temptation what's the temptation i don't want to be open i don't want to be vulnerable i don't know i don't want you to know what's really in my heart are you willing to sacrifice your time so that you can be present so that you can be open and vulnerable this is so funny about our, our meetings of the body. Now, you're here at church, and so I'm preaching to the choir. What about midweeks? How about just going to Wednesday night? Just say, hey, I want to hang out with all the men or all the women. I know some of you guys, hey, well, I'm going to hang out with the sisters this week. Amen. So, yeah. But, or house church. If you're going to be honest with yourself, am I devoted? To the meetings of the body, how about bible talk how about How about just reaching out? Oh no, we now i don 't have time i don 't have time i can't i can 't sacrifice for an hour on a Wednesday night. I have things to do i don 't have time i don 't have time for you that 's what you 're saying that 's what i 'm saying i don 't have time for you. whatever is from seven thirty to on Wednesday night is more important than you. Me not taking time and looking at my schedule and planning my day is more important than being there for you. Now, I know we have some friends here with us today. And so I'd like you to take your hands and close your ears just for half a second. (laughs) Because, see, we're going to have family time just for a second. If you're a member of the body... We're going to start talking about our attendance. Because of you, that the world may know. You know, yesterday I spent time with Trudy Dixon. Many of you know that Trudy's husband, Nick, just passed away. He had cancer, cancer's a slow killer. It eats you away from the inside. I've had family members die of cancer, and it's scary. Remember the flood? Remember the chaos? Because it's coming. It's not if, it's when. And so Nick passed away this last week. So I spent time, Patty and I went over there. How are you doing? How's the family? Do you need anything? what about the funeral? What can we do? Let's help you. And so we talk. And she, a number of times, started crying, different things, emotions and feelings. And and then at the end, she's like, "The, the family group have been so incredible. The men in our family group have been there they would call, can we come over? No, no, don't come over, come no. If We want to come over just for a few minutes. We want to encourage you. What do you need? Food, help with the house, spending time just to encourage Nick or you or your family. Now, if you know Trudy and, and uh, Nick, well, they're African American. And their family group is everything else. White, Hispanic, and, and through the last couple years, people going to the hospital, going over the home, serving, bringing food over, and both Nick and Trudy's family from Atlanta and the East Coast always coming, and they're like, look, who are all these people serving you? And it made a difference. Nick died in peace. As a faithful disciple, loved by his family and by the body. But you know what? Nick presented himself to the group. Nick made himself available to the group. The group made itself available to Nick and Trudy. How about you? I'm too busy. I can't be there. But you want the body to be there when chaos hits you. can't have it both ways. (laughs) You can't have it both ways. So the brothers and the sisters, good job. You did what you needed to do as disciples, and you loved. And the whole world knows there's something different about you. Am I willing to serve to be one? Am I willing to engage you so we're one? Am I willing to serve? Am I willing to sacrifice so we can be one? You know, there's parts of the Dallas church. Again, if you're visiting with us, keep your hands over your hairs, please. You know, there's ministries that we need to start, but we can't because we're still waiting for money. I, I want to hire a Hispanic couple so we can go in the parts of Dallas that just speak Spanish. We need more campus leaders we need more, more youth and family leaders. You know, my, one of my pet peeves is that we have someone in the youth and family that their kid is being brought up in the youth and family, but they don't sacrifice for the youth and family. I want the benefits but I'm not willing to sacrifice for it. Because Starbucks, eating out, lack of discipline, having a nicer car, living in too big of a house, all these things are more important to me than sacrificing to help my child go to heaven so I can hire somebody to lead them. Just the way it is. But if I want to be one, I'm going to think about my time. How can I serve? You know the AV guys come up and they serve. Oh, my gosh. Congregational. We're talking about 5 a.m. in the morning to set up AV equipment just so Alan can sing like six songs? (laughs) Now He's good, but is he that good? <laughs> if you're a member of the body, besides attending, where do you serve? Where do you serve? Where do you serve? Where do you serve? Seriously, where do you serve? Oh, Amen. Yeah. Hey, you don't have to, you know, it's like, you don't have to throw it out there. I'm just, that's rhetorical. So one, perfectly one. How can I serve you? How can I love you? Am I willing to lead a Bible talk? Serve in kids' kingdom? Hey, I'll be on the AV team. Am I willing to build the church here in Dallas? The churches in Texas and the whole world? Am I willing to work for unity? Unity? To support those ministries that can't afford it? That we can be perfectly one? So the world will know? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. We're going to study chaos. It's coming. If you're not already in it right now, it's coming. And God's given us a plan He's trying to help us understand, walk, walk with me, and I'll show you how you can overcome the flood. So my prayer is that we, as we take communion this morning, that we'll consider Jesus. We'll look at Jesus, the perfecter of our faith. We'll look at Jesus and imitate his faith. We'll look at Jesus and do it his way and not my way. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, God, we come to you now this time humbled and grateful that as we take communion, God, we'll remember your son, Jesus. We'll consider him, God. We'll look to him as our brother. And Father, learn from him to follow his example. Father, to have the heart that he had. Father, as we pray to you, we're grateful for his sacrifice. We pray, God, that we will consider and we'll learn and we'll grow and we'll be the sons and daughters that you love and glorify your name on this earth. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.